giving birth is one of the most significant events of your life. Sadly, the joy that you should feel can often be replaced with anxiety and helplessness instead. Do you feel like you have little control over this process? Do you want to learn about all of your birthing options? Do you understand the reasons behind policies and protocols that stand in the way of your preferences? As a labor and delivery nurse, I'm revealing insider information to educate you, reassure you, and decrease your fear. In this podcast, you'll hear empowering birth stories and experts weigh in on a range of topics. Being an observant Jewish mom, I take a special interest in the unique implications of this lifestyle. However, I speak to anyone wishing to navigate their journey with more joy and confidence. I'm your host, Hani Fingerer, and you're listening to the Happy Birthway Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Happy Birthway Podcast. Today, I'm so excited to interview Dr. Alyssa Hellman. She is an experienced board-certified OBGYN and has been in practice in the Midwest for the past 10 years. She is also the physician at the Confident Kala, a telemedicine gynecology practice focused on the needs of Jewish women who observe Taharat HaMashbacha. On this platform, she consults on a wide range of women's health issues related to contraception, preconception counseling, cycle management, postpartum questions, and perimenopausal concerns. Throughout her years as a clinician, she noticed a gap in women's health awareness and education. This developed into a special interest in being a resource for the Jewish community by educating about body awareness and women's preventative health for all ages and stages. Check out Dr. Hellman's Instagram account, The Confident Kala, if this is a service that would benefit you. Welcome to the Happy Birthway Podcast, Dr. Hellman. Thanks for having me. Okay. Did I leave anything out, first of all, in your bio? Have you uh, no, that started was very any new? Thorough. Okay. No new projects like Harry Potter no new stuff? No projects yet. No, no, not yet. <laughs> we'll work on those later. <laughs> <laughs> um, when you grow up, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Maybe a few years. <laughs> Okay, so um, I would like to interview you on postpartum issues. I um, just postpartum healing. I get so many messages asking me from religious Jewish women, how can I get to mikvah as soon as possible? So I just want to backtrack for our audience that is not familiar with what mikvah is um, in religious Orthodox Jewish law, when a woman is menstruating or bleeding, such as postpartum bleeding, uh, a man and woman do not have sex. And there are other um, things that they don't do, such as hugging or kissing. So this is something that happens after birth when a woman is bleeding. When a woman is um, finished that cycle, she then goes to a ritual bath called a mikvah, and it's a, a spiritually cleansing experience. It's not an actual physically cleansing experience. Once she goes to mikvah, she comes home, and she and her husband resume all sexual activity and um, you know touching intimacy and all that part of their marriage that they had not been engaged in previously. So understandably, it's really difficult for many couples to stay apart for so many weeks after the birth. And I have so many, this is a huge hot topic 
that women come to me with asking me, how can I get to mikvah as soon as possible? How can I stop the bleeding that I'm experiencing, et cetera, et cetera? So what can you, um, what, what insight can you give us? What's your wisdom? Yeah, well, I think one of the first things that you really have to understand and like internalize as a woman who just had a baby and went through that very eventful physical experience is to understand that, yes, you want to get to the mikvah as quick as you can, but your body needs to really heal. Um, There's reasons why you are bleeding as long as you are. Remember, you haven't had a period for nine months. So that nice, thick uterine lining that supported your pregnancy, that allowed the placenta to grow and attach onto your uterus, um, that has to come out and it doesn't take a week. You know, it does take, you know, between like, I'd say three to eight weeks really to, to come out. Um, and, also of the delivery of the placenta, it le- it's like kind of picking off a big scab, as kind of gross as that sounds, it really leaves an area on the uterus that was kind of like a little bit torn um, for like from the lining of that li- internal lining of the uterus. And so that needs to heal. And, you know, just like any cut you get really like on your skin, you can see it doesn't stop bleeding until that scab starts. And then maybe the scab comes off a little and starts to bleed again. Um, that's kind of what is going on in your uterus. So that need that process, which is very normal, needs to to go, you know, go through its its stages and and heal. So sometimes just knowing that that's normal and there's nothing wrong with the prolonged bleeding, um, that's like kind of encouraging to to understand that that's okay and that what's happening is supposed to happen and that it's hard to rush it because that's it's normal. Yeah, it's our body telling us that right now is not the time for sex because I'm still healing. I like to tell my patients, um, I call it a wound. So when I explain to them about how their uterus is supposed to contract in the immediate postpartum period after they give birth, I explain to them that the placenta leaves behind a wound and we need to make sure that your muscles of your uterus are contracting enough to clamp down and help clot up that wound and like you said, form that scab. And um, it's a large wound. I mean, the placenta is a large organ. Yeah, it's like a dinner plate size, I would say. <laughs> if we want to think about size, that's, pre- that's pretty big. Um, so it definitely needs needs time to get better. And it's interesting because I think a lot of women don't realize just because they're not necessarily external signs of healing you know, today, especially we have this snapback culture in postpartum where you just need to snap back and get right back at it and do whatever you you were doing beforehand and pretend you never had a baby. You're back from the hospital and start, you know, and, and today women are working online. So they, they go back to work answering emails. But there's really a healing process that's going on inside. And even if we don't see it, our body is manifesting it by continuing to bleed and telling us, hey, we're not fully healed Right. Definitely. Yeah. And then there's other there's aside from just the uterus and the bleeding part of it, um, you know, the vagina itself, like the walls of the vagina are are going to be a little bit different afterwards, you know, in the immediate postpartum period when hormone levels are changing from you were pregnant a minute ago and you're not pregnant anymore because you delivered. And um, there's really a big like hormonal drop in estrogen. We almost compare 
a postpartum state, similar almost to perimenopause or menopause, where those estrogen levels are really dropping. They're not abnormal. They're not low, right? You're still functioning like a, you know, normal female reproductive age woman, but from what they were in pregnancy to what they are now that you had your baby, um, the estrogen levels drop and the inside of the vagina and sometimes even the outside are very sensitive to those estrogen drops. And the main symptom of that inside the vagina is that it, it feels like kind of very sensitive. You can get burning, um, you can get itching, and that can make sex also a little bit uncomfortable. And giving your body that time to kind of adjust to its new normal so that you aren't as symptomatic with that. Um, also, it's, it's actually not a bad thing to not have sex sooner rather, you know, later rather than sooner. Um, so it really, um, it's okay to wait, even though mentally it's so frustrating, emotionally it's frustrating. Um, and probably the more frustrating part is not, is the aspect of not being able to touch, um, you know, and, and that's for, for people who may not know, it's, it's so that you, it doesn't lead to sex, right? Sex is really what is not supposed to happen while a woman is bleeding um, in Orthodox Judaism or Judaism as a whole. Um, but that's, you know, it can be really hard to not have kind of like emotional, just physical touch regardless of sex. But just to know that the vagina itself is not going to feel amazing the first couple of times for very normal reasons. Yeah, I, I know so many people who just want to get to mikvah, not because they want to have sex, but exactly for the reasons that you just said, the physically, the physical, you know, difficulty of you just want to give your husband a hug and the emotional aspect. It's a real struggle um, just emotionally not being able to get a hug if you need it, because like you said, your estrogen levels drop like, you know, so fast, like a cliff down and you're just sorting everything out. You have the baby blues. And today we don't live in these nuclear families where we have mothers and grandmothers and aunts and sisters all living with each other. And you're not getting that physical touch necessarily from everyone. And people just want to go exactly like you said, for that reason, I find a lot of people don't want to have anything to do with sex for many months after they have their baby, which I guess is also important to bring up, right? Right. Right. And, and, you know, there's also, if you had any type of stitches or just general discomfort when you're healing, um, some people get very nervous about sex. So that time is also great for healing. I'll tell you the vagina heals incredibly. Um, it's something where after a delivery, if you think you had a horrible tear, if you did, and you had tons of stitches internally, externally, I'll check it again at six weeks, even four weeks. And it's like nothing happened. Like from, from looking at it, like you may feel like something still happened, but it heals incredibly. Um, it's meant to, you know, it's just, it's, it's, um, kind of just how, how the body works and how the vagina works and the type of tissue that it is. Um, but it's, it's still, it, it needs time to heal. Um, and sex can be a little bit uncomfortable, like where the stitches are. All stitches put in are generally dissolvable, um, you know, usually within a week. Um, so those are gone, but there can be some scar tissue there, can feel a little bit firmer, a little bit more uncomfortable to touch, um, or just to sex in general. Um, and that can last much longer than just the six weeks or eight weeks or however long you're waiting, um, but generally does get better over time. 
So there's so many physical aspects to healing after having a baby that it's it's something that like sex shouldn't be rushed really if you have sex too early sometimes you can cause more bleeding like you can the tissues themselves are not yet ready for that they can tear a little bit more they can bleed like where the stitches were um you know so so there's reasons why you know even someone who's not jewish at all we say hey just give yourself give yourself a chance you may feel like you want to emotionally and physically like you want to but give yourself a chance yeah, there's such a wide range of feelings about this. Some people want to resume sex immediately. Some people feel pressure to resume sex immediately, which I want to touch upon also um, in a minute. And some people want nothing to do with it for a long time. And again, probably because of the difference in hormones in the body with prolactin and you know lactating. So now there's other hormones. And I think my belief is just like evolutionarily you know, our bodies were made in that way where women don't want to have sex because before the times of contraception, <laughs> you know, the, the woman had to maintain her milk supply to, you know, for her little baby to survive. So she doesn't want to have sex because she doesn't want to have another baby. <laughs> like 10 months later. Yeah. Um, and just just um, one thing that I, that I also it's good to mention about healing. If you didn't have a vaginal delivery, and you had a C-section, you, you don't have those stitches, right? You didn't, nothing vaginal happened. Um, you're still going to have all those other um, like hormonal changes with nursing and the, the vaginal, like internal vaginal skin is going to feel uncomfortable. So that aspect of the stitches and just not feeling like perfect, you know, in the vaginal opening is definitely like not as much of a factor if you had a C-section. But then you also just had surgery on your abdomen. You may not feel like you want to have sex just because it can be a little bit uncomfortable and you have to let your abdominal muscles heal and you have to let those stitches heal too. So um, obviously sex is obviously physical. And so you're not going to like moving your run. You may not feel like it's that comfortable yet. So also give your chance give it, give it your body a chance to heal, you know, from the abdominal perspective too. Yeah, that that makes so much sense. And I know that people who have had a C-section are not immune to having pelvic floor issues as well. Especially there are some people who pushed for 3 hours and then ended up with a C-section and their perineums are swollen and they've definitely taken uh, you know, a hit in one way or another, even if they don't have stitches, but I'm sure that there's some healing that they have to do there. Um, but I just, while, as we continue the conversation, I also just want to make it clear that for those who are Orthodox Jewish here, um, I think that there's this misconception that you must have sex when you go to mikvah that night. And I'm not giving any, you know, Jewish law, I'm not ruling any halacha here, any Jewish law, but I do want to say that there is a place for not having sex, um, you know, at the night that you go to mikvah. It's definitely a mitzvah, it's a positive commandment, but speak to your rabbi if you are actually ready to go to mikvah physically in terms of not bleeding anymore, but you're afraid that you don't want to have sex that night because you just don't feel ready. So I just want to put that out there so that women know that that's definitely something that is a viable option to each person's specific situation. For sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, you have to you have to be ready in so many different ways for sex after a baby. It's so emotional. It's emotional for the man, too, you know, and um, I think communication is also so important because he may be expecting one thing and you may be 
expecting something else and wanting something else. And um, I think it's also pretty important um, to kind of talk with him too, um, so that you're both on the same page about it and you don't feel like he's forcing or you're forcing or whatever, you know, whatever it is that you, you, you've communicated about it. I know that we like to make fun of men, you know, oh, they're not pregnant. Oh, they don't have to go through labor. But the more I work in this area, the more I validate and realize there are definitely challenges that fathers should um, be acknowledged for having. Right. And, and um, you know, there's so many ways to go with this. One is, you know, they haven't had sex for six weeks also, and they probably really want to. Um, but and they're maybe also even probably, before that, because not right. all women want to have sex at the end of their pregnancy either. Exactly. Um, and then also they may be like totally petrified of like, oh, my God, what happened down there? And how like how is she going to feel, you know, and, and just scared that they're going to like make anything hurt more. Um also just and this is going back to the whole like touching um part and the kind of more emotional and just physical touch is is kind of also talking with your husband about how you need to like we can't have sex we can't touch right now like what are other ways to like make each other feel good like hey if you offer to take the baby and just like let me sleep for three hours I'm going to be like really excited to be with you, you know, so like little things like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, So just like little things to, to kind of think about that replace that touch that still make you guys like feel loved with each other. Um, And, and yeah. Yeah. I mean, Nida in general, and when I say Nida for those who don't, are not affiliated with Judaism, that means um, the time period when a woman is menstruating and before she's gone to mikvah um, to resume physical activity with her husband. So I think Nida, a big part of Nida is that it, it makes us build that emotional connection and, you know, see, look at a relationship outside of the realm of sex and physical connection, but look at the emotional connection it's a conversation all for its own, but I do feel like there is an aspect of Nida. I'm not whitewashing it and making it look like it's all lovely roses, but there is an aspect that actually makes a woman more human where she's more than just being a sexual object. And, you know, marriage is so much more than just any coupleship is so much more than just having sex. So yeah, like you said, you, you are made to go out of your comfort zone. And instead of just giving each other a hug, it really makes maybe the father think about, oh, what else can I do to make make my wife happy? You know, she's crying. Oh, yeah, let me watch the baby for two, three hours so you can take a, a rest. That's definitely, that's, and going back to C-sections, you just reminded me, I do feel like women who have had a C-section, one of the um, silver linings is that they bleed less. I do feel like when the placenta is removed manually, would you agree on that? Yeah. I mean, we're like looking at the inside of the uterus, which is a lot different than a vaginal delivery where I can like take, you know, I can wipe it out, you know? So there's definitely still the bleeding that comes from just like the shedding of the lining and, and that, that placental area attachment area having to heal. But yes, we can just do a lot more almost like manual cleaning up of the blood um, that we can't do in a vaginal delivery because we can't really access it comfortably in a regular delivery room. Yes, I've heard that. And 
although I think in the immediate postpartum period, there is a higher risk for bleeding after a C-section. But once that immediate, you know, two, three days is over, I do feel like people generally have less bleeding with a C-section. Like I've heard of women getting to mikvah at three weeks postpartum because they really had a lot less bleeding. Again, this is totally out of the norm. <laughs> no one here who had a C-section should think that something's wrong with them if they can't get to mikvah three weeks out. And just one more thing about that. If you do not bleed at all after a C-section or even after a, deli- a vaginal delivery, but more commonly, if you don't bleed at all after a C-section, that is not normal. And that is something that you definitely should talk to your doctor about. Um, there's, you know, there's a situation that can happen where there's just scarring by wherever the incision was sewn up and the cervix was never really opened if you didn't go through labor and if the blood that is collecting and is coming out but doesn't get out of the cervix and out of the vagina that can be very dangerous and uncomfortable because that blood is building up so if you don't have any bleeding that like at all that is a warning sign oh for me as a nurse when I have patients that come out of the operating room and we do our 15-minute checks for the first two hours. I get very suspicious if there's no bleeding coming out. But would you say that that's something that in the immediate postpartum first few days, someone would have bleeding and then suddenly not have bleeding because something happens over there in the scar or placenta? Um, it's usually like no bleeding at all. Because if there is some bleeding, then you know there's like an opening like out of the cervix. As long as something's coming, coming out. Right. As long as there's, even if it's just a little bit, you know, it's coming out and maybe you're that person who didn't have that much bleeding. But if you really have nothing, that's not normal. Very concerned. I will not, I, there was a doctor that I worked with. It was not my patient, but they sewed the cervix shut by mistake. Right. Not (laughs) not a good idea. (laughs) since that story, I've gotten very, you know, scrupulous about those who are not bleeding at all after a C-section to like just try to get squeeze a drop or two of blood out. But that's but but that again, that's something that someone would know while they're still in the hospital that there's something wrong. And we feel for the height of the uterus, too, after delivery and that the height would continue to go higher, which is not something that is a normal finding. So that would be another clue because that blood pools in. So just so that people are not afraid, this would be something that would be detected like in the first few days while they're in the hospital. Right. Right. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly. <laughs> I get very suspicious. I, I do. Yes. I really do. Yes. And that's that's usually a simple like uh, a minor procedure can kind of help that. So it's it's easily resolved, but um, definitely something to yeah. So as long as you're having a little bit of bleeding, you're good. And don't be scared that after C-section, if a weekend you're not having any bleeding, you're still you're still okay. We, We you know as long as you had some. So. I want to ask you about using certain methods of birth control, namely hormonal birth control, whether you found that that has helped someone stop bleeding sooner and get to mikvah sooner. I've heard from some women that they found it really effective for them. And when I talk about this method, I'm talking about the mini pill, which is a pill that only has the hormone progesterone in it. And it's not the combination pill, which has estrogen and progesterone in it together. Right. So, I mean, in general, not even in the postpartum period, we use progesterone in different forms, different doses a lot to actually help people who are having 
heavy bleeding, prolonged bleeding. Um, it's a really great treatment for bleeding issues. So we kind of naturally move over into the postpartum period of like, hey, I'm bleeding a long time. I would like this to end sooner rather than later. Can I use progesterone to help that? And yes, many times it does work. So if you go on a, a progesterone pill or a progesterone IUD or some form of progesterone birth control, your bleeding may end sooner rather than later. Um, Every so often when you're starting something new or you start something too soon, one of the effects of progesterone is to really like thin that lining and get out all that stuff in the uterus. And that can actually, if you started too soon and the lining is too thick um, or you're still already bleeding, you're still bleeding from that like placental scab needing to heal, um, it may actually make your bleeding a little longer. Not heavy, but just enough that you're not going to be able to get to the mikvah sooner. So it's always helpful to like remember your history of what you've used before. And then if you have never used anything before that worked for you and you're kind of, this is a new like kind of thing for you that you're exploring of what would work because it's your first baby or you've never been on birth control, um, it's always a good idea to wait at least a month from when you had your baby um, to kind of get as much of like your own bleeding out as possible. Um, and then you still have a couple weeks before you can usually get to the mikvah to kind of see how you respond to a new birth control that you've started and a progesterone birth control. Yeah. Right. And you know, sometimes if, if you also, if you're thinking of an IUD, but you're just not sure yet, or you're nervous what the insertion will do to like potentially prolonged bleeding. Sometimes just going on the mini pill for like a month or two, like as a bridge um, to an IUD is um, is a good idea um, to kind of make it to the mikvah, um, not worry about like an IUD, you know, insertion causing bleeding or not sure how it's going to work for you. You like have some time to go on a pill that's super easy, um, get a prescription for it and then um, switch over. So if someone reacts well to the mini pill progesterone, would you say that they would also react well to an IUD with progesterone in it, such as the Mirena? Yeah, generally, um, it is a different progesterone um, of the what's in the mini pill and what's in the IUD. Um, but overall, you should see how it helps with bleeding and how it helps, like, you know, stop the bleeding or make it less... Um, I'm wondering if you think that it would work to continue to stay on the mini pill after you get the IUD in with progesterone in it. Would would that decrease your bleeding at all? Not really. Um, that actually works really nicely when you're switching from a pill that has estrogen in it, like a combined pill. Um, but there's, it's still just progesterone to progesterone. Um, some people, if they do get a, go from a combined pill to an IUD, they'll stay on the combined pill for the two weeks where they actually, they won't have a break in their birth control. Like you're, you're still on your regular pill. You have your IUD in place. You're waiting for the IUD to become effective. And then you stop your pill, have kind of maybe a little period or withdrawal bleed from that. And then your IUD will be effective, but, um, doesn't work. I'd say as well, because you're just going from one progesterone to the next from the mini pill to an IUD.
And I should also say one more like safety issue with going on a combined pill or anything with estrogen, which includes the ring and the patch and the pill. Um, we don't want to start it before six weeks postpartum because you are at an increased risk of blood clotting when you're pregnant and in that six weeks after delivery. And if you add anything with estrogen in it, um, that kind of adds to that blood clotting risk. And so it's not safe to start a combined pill, if that's what you are planning to go to before six weeks. Um, so even if your goal is to like start it as soon as you can to, to, you know, minimize bleeding, and get to the mikvah sooner, um, it's just not as safe as using something with only progesterone. Yeah, that's definitely an important point. And it's pretty cool. I never knew that that's something that can actually help you with breakthrough bleeding. So um, thank you. Thanks for teaching me that. Now, I wanted to go back to the piece where we spoke about how rest is so important because the wound in your placenta is healing, even if you don't see it outwardly. And how if you have a really busy day, you're running around, you go to the mall, you go to the pediatrician, you cook for Shabbos, um, and you start bleeding more. It's not just let's rest and then the next day you're going to just be back to where you were two days ago, right? Now it's where you're, you opened up that scab again and it's like two steps forward, one step back, and now it's going to take you extra time and it kind of set your entire recovery um, back more than just that one day. And especially in your seven clean days when you're counting um, after you seized menstruation for those who are not affiliated, after you stop bleeding, there are seven days that you need to count before you can go to mikvah. So those seven days, it's even more important to really take it easy because you don't know how much of your wound is still left over that needs to heal. And now you can really set yourself back a lot. Right, right. So, you know, because it's it's kind of a bigger area in your uterus. And yeah, obviously you can't see inside of it. You don't really know. But um, you don't know how long that's going to take to heal again. Um, and that's, that's kind of why it's especially in your seven clean days to really try to minimize your... Um, super vigorous activity. That makes so much sense. So I'm just going to reinforce that it's really important not to start some kind of vigorous exercise program before you go to mikvah if that's your goal, if you want to heal as soon as possible. I mean, I think that in general, when um, you're getting back into any exercise routine, postpartum, you need to go slow. You can't just go from zero to 100 and do what you were doing before you even uh, got pregnant. That's not going to work that way. In the same way that everything in your body is healing, you need to slowly ease into whatever level you were at um, before you got pregnant. But also, this is a great excuse for you to just Tell your husband, sorry, honey, I can't do the laundry, I can't cook, I can't clean, you're going to have to do it all if you want me to get to mikvah and if you want sex. 
They have to do what they have to do. No, and we're, we're joking, but you know, you don't have to like lay in bed on bed rest for seven days for sure. But, um, you know, it would mean like practically like don't do heavy workouts and don't like, spend an entire day running around after the kid, like, you know, doing something physical with the kids or, um, or, you know, crazy errands all over the place. Like just kind of take it easy, normal life for one week. You can do that. <laughs> yeah. There's such a pressure these days for women to really get back to normal life and pretend like they never had a baby and their body just did something so huge and it's just this snapback culture. And then women who are still not feeling good six to eight weeks after they had a baby, they feel like they're failures, like something's wrong with them. But it's normal. It's really normal. And it's our body's way of telling us that we're not completely healed yet. So if you're still bleeding, then take that message from your body. I wanted to go um, into, I wanted to get into the topic of getting an IUD in postpartum and how if you get it inserted after you've gone to McFall already for the first time, how that can decrease your uh, chances of spotting and having needs of problems, right? Because uterine bleeding is the problem. And once you've gone to mikvah and you're not in nita status, which is that status before you can go to mikvah, then um, you are not actively checking and we can attribute the bleeding at times. Again, every uh, rabbi interprets halacha, Jewish law, a little bit differently. So I'm not giving you a, a halachic ruling, but um, many times it's it can be attributed to just the cervical trauma. The cervical tissue is very sensitive and it can bleed easily. So we can attribute it to that and not uterine bleeding if it's not a lot of heavy bleeding. Um, so I wanted to ask you about that because I know that for from women, it can be beneficial to get the IUD in after mikvah. And also there are some schools of thought that the actual insertion of the IUD does open the cervix large enough that it can put a woman into Nita's status. So I think just people should know that right off the bat if that's what the rabbi tells them. Um, but for those whose rabbis will say that this is not considered to put you into Nita's status. Right. So to backtrack about like just in general ideas behind putting an IUD in, um, you know, in my patients who do not care about McFarr, not Jewish, it's just not a part of their lives. I actually recommend that I to get the IUD put in right when you're done with the period. So that's when your uterus is most empty that month, right? You've just finished the heavy bleeding or whatever your period is, your lining is as thin as it's going to be. And I'm putting this IUD in and hopefully you'll just have a little bit, maybe insertional bleeding, um, maybe not even that much of that. Um, and then maybe just a few days of spotting, a couple weeks of spotting. I mean, it really ranges. But if we put it in when your uterine lining is thick, right before your period or mid-cycle in someone who's getting a regular period, um, the initial effect of that progesterone could be to slough off everything that's in your uterus currently. And so that can make your bleeding. Then you have a period and that can make your bleeding just last so long because it's just not stopping because the progesterone is there saying, okay, get it all out, get it all out. 
So the reason that we would, in a postpartum period, like to wait until you're after um, you after you've gone to the mikvah, is um, if you do have any prolonged spotting or a little bit of spotting or potentially insertional bleeding from the IUD, you've already been to the mikvah. Your status has already changed, and you want to, you know, if it's it's possible that that bleeding actually doesn't put you into the state of Nina, you could either not look at it. I mean, you, whatever, whoever, you know, Rav you use to kind of ask your Shilas and what kind of staining or spotting may put you into Nina, it's much less likely that that bleeding will make you Nida again, um, as opposed to continuing spotting that you already had from delivery. So it kind of helps separate the status of what you are at the time where it's it separates the postpartum bleeding instead of and and the potential spotting from an IUD which less likely will put you into nida as opposed to just continuing postpartum bleeding and haven't been to the mikvah yet and so it's easier to separate that bleeding and say oh it was likely from that because you've already had um, enough days where you aren't bleeding, you got to the mikvah, um, as opposed to wondering like, hey, she didn't get to the mikvah yet, so is the bleeding that she's talking about just an increase or a continuation of normal postpartum bleeding? So that's why when mikvah and tarat hamishvacha are part of your life, the best time to get it put in is after mikvah. Of course, the issue there is, hey, I don't have my birth control yet. Right. I've been to the mikvah and I'm not on anything. So that's why that like mini pill, progesterone only pill bridge is helpful to like be on that, which you can start before you've been to the mikvah um, to kind of help give me like give you some form of contraception. Some people don't want to use that, you know, don't aren't interested in anything hormonal um, beforehand. So, you know, options are things like spermicide which can be a little bit irritating to a newly postpartum inter you know inside of the vagina um so just kind of be aware of that um or like a diaphragm or something which also may be a little bit irritating you know because to the skin there but and i want to just quickly mention that you do need to be resized for the diaphragm um because the diaphragm that you were using pre-pregnancy may not be the right size anymore your tissue, your vagina changes um, during pregnancy and your anatomy may not be the same size. Right, exactly. And there's the Kaya diaphragm, which, um, yes, if you, you, you do need a prescription for it, at least in America, um, but generally would still work, um, but still always a good idea, one, like to get to make sure that it still fits just because, you know, your anatomy has changed. Your cervix is different. It could be in a different angle. Your uterus could be in a different angle, which kind of changes what your, you know, the, the vagina shape. Um, so yeah, definitely still a good idea if you're going to use a diaphragm to make sure it still works. And I want to point out that if you are not okay with having a baby in 10 months from going to mikvah, it's extremely important for you to use birth control or if you're not Jewish, if you're not affiliated and you don't go to mikvah, if you're okay with having a baby 10 months after you resume sexual intercourse, then don't be on birth control. But otherwise, you can ovulate as soon as four weeks after um, you give birth if you're formula feeding and you can ovulate 
as early as six to eight weeks after you give birth if you're breastfeeding. So breastfeeding is not an effective form of birth control. And not just that, but you need to know that even if you had infertility or you needed some sort of help getting pregnant, um, don't think that you can just rely on that. No, not at all. And that definitely, definitely can happen. I've, I've seen it many times where people rely on their infertility, um, especially if it was somewhat of a female factor unexplained. Um, definitely you can get pregnant uh, without, you know, without expecting it. Um, and birth control, uh, or I should say, lactation birth control is going to be somewhat more effective if you are exclusively nursing or pumping every two to three hours, have a great supply. Um, it's not 100% reliable by any means, but it will work a bit better than if you have supply issues, you're not nursing often, or you're not nursing at all. Um, so just to, if you for sure, for sure cannot get pregnant, that would not be a good fit for you at the time, um, you shouldn't rely purely on um, nursing contraception. Okay, so going forward to another topic, I once had a from patient who had a postpartum hemorrhage, and she got a lot of different medications. She got Pitocin, and she got some other medications to stop the hemorrhage. And we know that someone who is um, who has had a hemorrhage is at risk and prone to having another one because somehow, you know, the uterine muscles are more relaxed and they're just not contracting as effectively down on that placental wound, on the wound in the uterus that the placenta left behind. So her husband, among other things that he asked, but this was an interesting question that stood out to me. He asked me, if getting all of these medications would mean that she'll get to mikvah sooner and she'll stop bleeding sooner. Have you seen any correlation, any connection between women who have a postpartum hemorrhage and being able to um, stop bleeding sooner? So generally not. Um, the The postpartum hemorrhage is usually like an acute issue that happens for like whatever risk factor in pregnancy or in labor. Um, and then we give a lot of medications that can help or mechanical ways to kind of help stop the bleeding, the heavy bleeding in the moment. Um, and they may have a little heavier bleeding over the next like few days to week, but it shouldn't last into the time that they're trying, they're noticing that their bleeding is lightening up and they're thinking about being able to start their counting their seven clean days before mikvah. Um, so that's usually more of like an acute um, like hospital time issue rather than something that's going to last for like the next month. So that's good. I mean, that I think that that should be pretty reassuring for women who have had a postpartum hemorrhage and are wondering about that. So Dr. Hellman, thank you so much for coming on here and for so generously sharing with us so much of your expertise and so many pearls of wisdom. Um, I'm so grateful that you came on here and I want to ask you if you have any closing comments, if you have any points that you want to emphasize and please let us know how people can find you if they want to benefit from the amazing services that you provide? Yeah. Um, I always get so stressed out from that question. What are your closing comments? <laughs> but um, I, um, you know, I think really what we even started this talk with is, is 
like just be kind to yourself and you know not everything has a pill that can be fixed and you know that, that that's the question i get right i'm a doctor i can take out my prescription pad and write you something but that doesn't mean that it will a hundred percent work for you that doesn't mean that you don't also need to rest and let your body heal um you know there's so much more to medicine than just like giving out a pill or giving you know some sort of therapy like really like rest is the best medicine like we hear that all the time and you just have to like internalize that and understand like the huge process your body grew a person you know that's nothing small um so as far as that's that's i guess my general philosophy uh, but as far as um where you can find me and what I do. So, you know, I think probably most appropriate for this audience, if you don't live where I live, um, is that um, I do have a telemedicine gynecology practice, which obviously does not entail any exams or something that would need like a procedure because it's all via telemedicine. Um, but it's just a chance to be able to like hash things out and have consultations um, with someone, me, who um, really like understands what it means to be a firm woman who practices Tarot HaMeshbacha and like the concerns that come with that. And like, I get it, right? Many people say like doctors, like they didn't get that. I didn't want to explain to them that I couldn't have sex. I was embarrassed because like, oh, what do you mean you can't have sex with your husband? You know, so sometimes it's hard to talk about. Yes. And like where I work, I'm one Orthodox Jew. I'm one of only two Orthodox Jews that work um, uh, in my hospital, as far as I know. And doctors are really not familiar with this. And I find myself being the one to explain all of this stuff to them. And it's lengthy and it takes a long time. Right. And so like, hey, you don't have to do that with me. Like, I totally get it. And then also just like, Another big thing for me is really like for women to understand what their options are. I feel like a lot of of providers will kind of just assume, oh, you're from, you don't want birth control or, you know, you don't want this or you don't want that without really asking or explaining. And the point is that you hear from me, like what all of your options are. And then you on your own decide based on your lifestyle and what your goals are for babies or no babies or bleeding or whatever's going on with you that you are able to make the choice that's right for you because you know all of your options. And I think it's just really nice to have someone who's non-judgmental, even though you live a Jewish lifestyle, you're not judging anyone if they're not choosing to do something that um, they should, air quotes, they should. You're not, you're not ruling any Jewish law. You're not judging them and making them feel like they are bad for choosing something that may not be in line with Jewish tradition or whatnot. Or if they find themselves in a situation that is not your classic nice Jewish girl situation in terms of like past sexual sure. partners or something right. like that. I ask all the same questions to everyone, no matter like what their religion is, what their observance level is. It, you know, I hope no one would get offended by if I'm seeing a single girl and I say, have you ever had sex before? I hope no one would be offended, but that, you know, meant many times the answer is yes, you know, and, and that's something that's important for me to know so we can like go over options of what you would need. But, um, no, I mean, I feel like response, my responsibility as a doctor is to like do the regular medical part of it, but then also just due to my religious background and the cultural sensitivity I've have to our, you know, 
population and our group of people is, is that adds to the medical part of it, but I can't ever take take that medical part out of it and say like oh because you are identify as from I, I shouldn't even ask you certain questions so that um you know we you and i both know many stories where um we think someone's life is one way and if we find out it's different so um yeah it's so yeah. important never to assume because by assuming you actually deprive people of the care that they should be getting the medical care that they should be getting and you perpetuate the stigma surrounding things that maybe they did that were not acceptable by Jewish law or whatnot. Right. So it's really great that you have both, that you really bring both to the table where you're religious, you understand something that as urgent as getting to mikvah that a woman that's recently postpartum would feel. You understand how important that is to her and you don't think that something's wrong with her and her husband if he doesn't lean over and give her a big hug and kiss right after she had the baby, which right. is something really that my coworkers still struggle with seeing. It's it's really hard for them to understand that. I understand right. that too. It's hard for me and my husband when I have a baby as well. It's, it's hard for many. Right. And if someone did lean over and give a hug and a kiss, we wouldn't judge either. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so you bring, you bring that, you, it's just beautiful how you bring both and you still will provide the same exact medical care and options to someone living a from lifestyle as anyone else. And they wouldn't get anything, any different care or treatment from you through your telehealth medicine, or if they want to fly to Wisconsin, Milwaukee, right. is that where you are? Oh, yes, Milwaukee. <laughs> they want Fun, exciting Milwaukee. <laughs> You're definitely you're definitely worth it to fly all the way. I I kind of want to like just tra take a travel assignment in your hospital so we could work together for a few Sounds weeks. Sounds good. Now. I would love that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll make kids grow up. So thank you again so much. It is so nice to speak to you. And I just have to say, social media is such a powerful, amazing, cool thing. I still don't For have sure. your phone number. I just got your email tonight. But yet we've been in contact so much. I feel I like know, I know right? you. Yes, for sure. Me too. The feeling is mutual. Thank you for tuning into the Happy Birthway Podcast. If you're looking to learn even more about pregnancy and birth, check out this episode's show notes for a link to my Instagram account, Yoledet Academy. Before I sign off, I want to impart the value of seeking care from a qualified and trusted provider. Each person's situation is unique and requires individualized medical advice. The information here is not intended to replace that, but rather to educate you on what questions to ask. My mission is to enable you to communicate your needs and confidently collaborate with your healthcare team. I believe that a healthy mom and healthy baby are not enough. We also need a happy mom with an empowering birth experience. 